had a waitress this week that was waiting on me. I stopped in uh, for lunch on Friday um, down here at the whistle stop, train stop, whatever the name of that place is. And what is that? Trolley. I wasn't even close. Trolley stop. Had something to do with trains. And uh, stopped in there and uh, was reading a book. And a lady asked me what, you were, what I was reading. And I was reading a book called The Sacraments of Evangelism. And uh, so I, I told her what this book was about and uh, just used that opportunity. And I said, yeah, do you, do you know what this word evangelism means? And she says, no, I have no idea. So I went on to share with her the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, how she need, needed to think about that and where she was going to spend eternity. And this was her exact quote, I have no idea where I'm going to spend eternity. So I left her a gospel track and uh, praying for her that she'll come to know where she's going to spend eternity. So look for those opportunities. They're all around us. Um, we've been given the command to share the great commission with Jesus Christ. You know, the story about Jerry Falwell, Jerry Falwell was driving through Lynchburg, Virginia. It's where I went to school, so I know a lot of stuff about Jerry Falwell. I was there the night that he stood up and told his vision for that school back in 1974. I was going to put a school up on the mountain. But just the man of God that he was, Jerry Falwell was driving through Lynchburg, Virginia one day, pulled up to a red light, and there was a man in a beer truck next to him. And so it was, it was the middle of summer, and he looked up at the fellow, and he said, Hey, how's your day gone? And the guy said, Hey, it's going okay. And he said, Could go better, I guess. And Jerry Falwell said, You know, it could go great if you knew Christ. And they pulled away from the red light. Six months later, that man showed up in church. He had no idea who Jerry Falwell was. He showed up in church, and he said, Wow, that man preaching today is the man who talked to me at a red light six months ago. That day, that man accepted Jesus, walked the aisle, accepted Jesus Christ as the Savior, quit his beer job, went into the Liberty University, and is today as a preacher. All because Jerry Falwell said hi to a guy in a beer truck. So we never know the influence we'll have just by being friendly. The Bible says the world will know us by our love. We care for each other. We care for people. Well, stand up with me this evening. Stand up. I know you're a little sleepy tonight. Still trying to catch up on that hour. So uh, shake three people's hands and tell them you're looking great this evening. I'll take your Bibles, turn back to the book of John. The book of John this evening. We, are, of course, have been looking at the book of John through the Feast of Israel, and we are looking at, uh, of all the feasts, the one that has the most information is, of course, the third Passover that Jesus becomes the Passover lamb for the people. Last week, we were in the upper room with Christ, and we looked at, uh, or two weeks ago, um, we looked at the foot washing. And uh, we looked at some of the aspects of uh, servanthood, what servanthood means. Uh, tonight we're going to look at the betrayal of Christ and his uh, prediction of betrayal. And then in two weeks we're going to look at his teaching. And it will pretty close take us to the end of this um, book. A few other things that we'll look at as we finish it up uh, probably sometime in April. 
Uh, next week, Dr. Delavai will be here with us from India, and he is here in the States. He's been with us before, and he will be speaking next Sunday night for us. It's always a treat to have Dr. Delavai here, doing a phenomenal work in India, and so uh, he'll be here with us next week. You won't want to miss that, and uh, so that'll be what will be happening next Sunday night. Well, here in John uh, chapter 12, or John chapter 13, take and look down with me, if you would, um, to verse 21. Um, last week we looked at the, two weeks ago we looked at the uh, feet washing, and uh, again the disciples are in the upper room, and I want to read this in ver- starting with verse 21. It says, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit, and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one to another, doubting of who he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. And then lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a sup, uh, or a piece of bread, and when I have dipped it, and when he had dipped it, uh, dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the uh, sup, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus to him, uh, That thou doest, do it quickly or do it fast. Now no man at the table knew for what intended he spake the, this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received um, the sup, went immediately out, and it was night. So, here we have, they're in the upper room. Again, I reminded you two weeks ago that this scene wasn't one long table, that they had a very small table that would have been a maybe 6 to 12 inches off the floor. They were laying around this table, and uh, um, they're partaking in the supper together. And uh, all of a sudden, Jesus says to the disciples laying around the table, hey, one of of you is going to betray me. Now, it doesn't say it here. It tells us over in Matthew chapter 6 that each of the disciples said, hey, not I. No way. It's not me. I'm not going to betray you. And you can almost hear the chatter going on around the table. Well, who is it? I wonder which one of us it is. Now, remember, these guys were struggling with each other because when they came into the room, they came into the room what? Arguing, arguing about who was the greatest of them. You know, that's why Christ tried to teach them with the washing of the feet that, listen, the greatest is the one who serves. And then all of a sudden, when they think, now we understand this, now he says to them that one of you is going to betray me tonight. And then immediately, they're all saying, no, it's not me, it's not me. I can, you can almost hear them thinking, oh, I know who it is. I, you know, it's this, or it's that person, or it's this person. So they have these thoughts about each other. And then there's something that takes place. Peter, who is always the one who is uh, acting, looks across the table and says to John, who is laying on Jesus' bosom. Again, remember, they're reclined, so he's sort of reclining to the right of Jesus. And uh, Peter, Peter says how, somehow gets John's attention and says to him, Hey, hey, find out who it is. Why don't you ask Jesus who it is? And so John sort of leans back 
on the right hand side, leans back. He would almost been leaning on Jesus' chest, and he says, Hey, Jesus, who is it? Who's the one that's going to do this? Who's going to betray you? Jesus said, Well, it's the one who takes the bread and sups with me. So Jesus took that bread, gave it to Judas, and he supped. And, and immediately, I believe that at least Peter knew, or John knew. And maybe John shot some type of, you know, look across the table, like, something like that. I don't know. But certainly, it seemed like he would have let Peter in, because Peter's the one who asked John to ask the question about this. And so, this happens. And when he had dipped this up, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, and, and he, um, at that moment, Satan entered into him. Now, Satan had certainly been working on him, but at this moment, Satan's the Bible says, entered into him literally and totally took over his life at that point. Um, and it's interesting because when he got up to go, really nobody was aware of why he left. Some people thought, oh, you know, he's the treasure, he's got the bag, so he must be going out to get some, you know, things to help us with the, the, maybe the meal that's going on, or uh, he's going to go out and he's going to give money to the poor. Remember, this is Passover. Again, you got to have you understand the scene. Thousands and thousands of people have come to the city of Jerusalem. The place is packed. It would have been a city that now, during Passover, would have gone on 24 hours a day. You know, it's always interesting when you go through the city of Lancaster at one or two or three in the morning. It's pretty much a dead city. It's not much going on. When you go through the city of Philadelphia, or you go to the, through the city of New York, or you go to a major city, they never what? They never sleep. Remember, Jerusalem was like the major city of that time. It's Passover. So for him to slip out you know, here late in the evening to maybe go over to the temple, the temple's still open. And, and, and again, remember, all around the temple there would have gathered poor people. So the disciples are thinking, oh, maybe Judas is going over to the temple and he's going to give out some money to the poor people because Jesus was always giving money to the poor. They were always helping the poor, uh, this, this band here. So nobody really understood. They were you know, just trying to put it together. But he got up and he left immediately. Now, I want, I want to camp out here for a few minutes tonight because I want us to think about this. How could Judas possibly do this? He has just spent almost two years with Christ watching him. I mean, watching him. I mean, he's watched, he watched him raise Lazarus from the dead. You know, he watched him make the blind man see. He watched him um, make the lame to walk. People who were deaf, he made them hear. I mean, it was amazing what Christ's ministry. And again, he sat under the teaching of Christ for those two years. He watched him. He lived with him. So the question is, how could he do this? How could he do it? What do you think? Any thoughts? Okay. His heart wasn't in fellowship with Jesus? Why, what else do you think? He certainly, I would say, was a pretender. He was pretending the whole time. So when I thought about this, I, I didn't want to leave this portion without really setting the tone of this because I think it's, it's important for us to understand. 
and you know that I, I really believe he was a pretender. He was putting on. So take your Bibles, go to a very a, a very controversial portion of Scripture, Hebrews chapter six. And Hebrews chapter 6 makes me to understand why I think Peter could do what he did. Why it makes me believe that sitting in churches across America, across the world, on any given Sunday morning, there is a lot of people who are pretenders. There are a lot of people who believe in Jesus. They make in a mental ascent to Christ. Okay? Um... They know what to say, they know how to say it, but they really don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, the Bible tells us in several places at the end time, at the judgment, the Bible, the Bible says people will say, well, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name, or we did this, and we did this. And he'll say, be gone, I never knew you. And so Judas could have been one of those people who said that, couldn't he? Couldn't he say, well, I, 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 I was there when you raised the dead. I saw it. I saw all these things happen. And, and I think here in Hebrews chapter 6, I think it helps us to understand. And I want to give you several things in this portion of Scripture that I think help us to understand Judas and maybe even those who will sit in a church week after week, week after week, month after month, year after year, and don't really have a true relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember, the Bible says that even the demons of hell, what? believe. Even the demons of hell believe. So I want us to go back here to Hebrews chapter 6 and tell you that this is a very controversial portion of scripture. There are two ways of looking at this. One is that the person who that we're talking about when we get down here to verse uh, 4 is saved. The other way to look at this portion of scripture is to say the person in Hebrews chapter 6 is not saved. I'm going to tell you the position that I take, and you can disagree with me. That's okay. Somebody has to be right. It would probably be me. No, I don't know for sure. I don't know. I'll find out for sure when I get to heaven. That's all I know. Because there are good men on both sides of the fence on this portion of Scripture. But uh, I, I tend to look at that this being an unsaved person, and I'm going to give you the reasons why, and I'm going to give you the reasons why I believe this reflects the life of Satan, okay, who, excuse me, reflects the life of Judas, who spent those two years, two and a half years in an intimate way with Christ. So let's look at it here in, in Hebrews chapter 6. And I'm going to give you five things here, if you want to jot them down um, from this, these two verses. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, it's impossible for those who have, were enlightened. Um, so the, the first thing I want you to see here, these people have been enlightened. Now, the, the interesting thing about here, that word enlightened is found nowhere else used for salvation. There's no other place in the Word of God where you will find that when somebody comes to Christ, they've been enlightened. Okay, It's not a word used for salvation. It is a word used for intellectual assent. It's what the word is literally used for in the Greek, intellectual perception. 
So it's saying this person has an intellectual perception of who Christ is. And I believe that Satan had a, excuse me, Judas had an intellectual perception of Christ. Okay, so did Satan, yes. So, so there was this intellectual assent to who he was. Um, well, yeah, I, I, I believe. The other day I, I was sitting, sitting with a, um, an, a fellow, a Muslim, and we were talking, and, and talking to this Muslim, we were going back and forth, and we were talking about who Jesus is. And this Muslim said to me, he said, well, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that Jesus rose again from the dead, this Muslim told me, as we were talking back and forth. And he said, but, where you and me disagrees, he said, and he said this, he says, I don't believe that Jesus was God. Jesus was a great prophet. Okay. So there was an intellectual assent in a sense who Jesus was, but there was really no faith. In Jesus, So here it says that he had been enlightened. He had an intellectual perception of who he was. The next thing it says in this verse, and have tasted of the heavenly gift. Tasted. The word tasted here means to sample, to only, ex- to only in a sense examine. And what I, what I equate this to, have you ever got a box of Whitman chocolate? You ever got a box of Whitman chocolate? I mean, some of you ladies, probably Valentine's Day, you got a box of chocolate, right? So sometimes, you know, you get the cheap boxes that don't tell you what's inside. I always hate those cheap boxes because when you open it up, you have no idea what really you're going to eat here. And there's just certain kinds of chocolate I don't like. I don't like the real hard, you know, the real hard. I, you know, if it has peanut butter in it, then it's good. You know, I like coconut, you know. There are others I, so, you know, you can always tell if I've been in a box because what I like to do is I'll take a little bite, and if I don't like it, I'll put it back in the box. <laughs> now, if you come to my house, we're not going to serve you out of that box, I promise you. But if I don't like it, I'll just take a little box and figure, hey, Virginia can eat that one later, you know. So I've tasted of that, really. But, I, you know, I'll just take a teeny little bite and just swallow it to see, is this really something I really like, okay? And, and in a sense, this is what it's saying, they've, they've tasted of it. Um, turn back to, to Hebrews 2.9, I think it is. Um, Hebrews 2.9 says, But when Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he had by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Different word used when we go back and you look in the original compared to what's used here uh, where it talks about being tasted of the heavenly gift. Here it means in a sense that Jesus totally swallowed it. Here, this word means that he's tasted. He just took a little bite and let it be in its mouth. Have you ever done that? You take a bite and put it in your mouth, and immediately your tongue says, what? 
I don't like this, so what do you do? You spit it out, okay? Ugh, you know, this doesn't taste good. So, so in a sense, that's what this tasted here is talking about. Put it in their mouth, they tasted it, but they didn't literally swallow it, okay? So, again, go back to Judas. Judas, in these, you know, two and a half years, he has been tasting of the work of Jesus Christ, but literally he has not swallowed it. He has not really bought into it. And that's hard to believe, isn't it? It really is, but that's what, what it is there. So we have this second thing where it says he's enlightened and he's tasted of the, of the heavenly gift. And uh, so what, what he's saying when he's talking about the heavenly gift, again, that heavenly gift is the gift of salvation. He's not really bought this whole thing. He's not tasted it. And then look at the next one. And we're made partakers of the Holy Spirit. Again, interesting word, partakers of the Holy Spirit. The word partakers there means an association. It's an it's actual word that means he's, he has an association. Nowhere else in the Bible do you find that word when you're, when you're talking about a Christian. Because when a Christian accepts Christ as their Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to what? And dwell them, to live with inside of them, to literally be within them. Okay? So, so there's, there's a difference here. Again, he said that this person has been a partaker of the Holy Ghost. They have associated um, with it. They've not possessed him. They've seen his work. Um, so, you know, we can be, in a sense, an association with someone, but really not be a true friend of someone, can't we? Because the Bible says that if we truly know Christ, we are his what? We are his friend, aren't we? We are his friend. So, again, a different term, a different term. Association versus friendship. Now, again, I, I could say, uh, and again, just as an illustration, please understand this, this is not to pick on Sherwood at all. I have an association with Sherwood. I, I know who he is. I'm in Sunday school with him occasionally. He sits at the under, other end of the room. I usually sit here. He stands up and he gives our prayer request. So we have an association, don't we? But I don't know if we have a friendship. But over here, this guy, Tim... I have a friendship with, because remember, he picks me up all the time for Bible study. You know, we drive together. You know, we eat together every other week at our, at our Bible time. So we have a what? Friendship. And we'll talk on the phone. So we have, in a sense, an intimate friendship. So there's that sense of I'm comfortably with hugging him. Because we're friends. Where I am just in a acquaintance. You see the difference? There's, there's a big difference here. And again, Judas had an association, even though I'm around him occasionally and I spend time with him, but I just have an association. We're here, we have intimate friendship. 
And, and so again, this is what this portion of Scripture is saying here about this person. This person could be someone who attends church on a regular basis, you know, and they, they have an association with the Holy Spirit. They see the Holy Spirit working. They've seen, the Holy, they've seen people get saved in church, and they've, seen, they've heard testimonies of, of the Holy Spirit working in people's lives. But again, it's association. It's not this thought of being um, indwelt by. And then look in the next verse. And have tasted the good word of God. Tasted. And again, it's the same thing. It's part, not whole. Um, they have tasted the good word of God. It's not, it doesn't even use, the when it uses the word word, it's not the word logos, which means the whole word of God. They have almost, in a sense, picked and choose, or picked and chosen what they wanted. So Satan, for Judas, as he was with Christ those two and a half years, it was almost like he was picking and choosing what he wanted to believe and what did he want to accept into his own heart. People can come and sit under the teaching and preaching of God's word and choose what they want to take in. People do that all the time, really. Okay, And so that happens often. It happens. I worked with a young man. For, for some time, he came to our ministry there in New Jersey, and uh, he would come and he would sit in the services and uh, sit there for three or four weeks, and then I would get a telephone call, and he would make an appointment, and he would come in, and he would have a book, and he would open that book, and he would begin to tell me what he thought of what I had said over the last two or three weeks, and would begin to point out things where I wasn't right. He wasn't really coming to church to take in the word of God. He was coming to church to tear apart what I was saying. And, and so, and this went on for about a, a year or two years um, where, we would, where we would get together. And I, I was getting together for the purpose because I really didn't believe he knew Christ. I believe he was tasting each week the word of God, but the word of God was not working in his heart. He wasn't allowing the word of God to work in his heart. So again, Judas, the same thing. He had tasted of that. Um, keep your finger there. Go over to Jeremiah, because this I think this helps us to illustrate. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. Here's Jeremiah. Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 15, 16. Thy words were, fo were found, and I did what? Eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Here Jeremiah said, listen, I found the word of God and I ate it, and it was what? It was delicious. It was good. It was joyous. And so that's the difference. That's the difference. There's the difference of just sort of taking it intellectually and, and not finding joy in it. Where when we really take in the word of God and we really in, ingest it into our, into our stomachs, 
the Bible says it's what? It is good. It tastes delicious. And, and it's almost sort of sometimes like this. On occasion, I will go up here and I will eat at Hoss's. And when you go to Hoss's and you get a steak, you know, you get what you pay for, right? Shoe leather. No, not really. But it's probably not the best steak. Okay? Today, my wife and I, we ate at the Outback for lunch. And I got a steak, and it was okay. It was, it was not bad. But there are some steakhouses that I've been to that when you put that piece of steak in your mouth, that it just what? It melts. Now, you know what? If you've ever eaten at Ruth Chris Steakhouse, now you pay an arm and a leg, but man, is that steak good. Okay. I remember we were in South America. They have phenomenal beef in South America, and we went to a, a meat roast there, and they had cooked all these steaks and stuff. And I remember the first bite of South American beef I had ever had, and it just melted in my mouth. It was so good. I must have eaten a pound of meat that night. Oh, was it good. And you know what? Here's the thing. Is it, boy, there's a difference between just, in a sense, tasting it and in a sense of swallowing it. And God's word is like the best steak you could possibly ever eat. It is. And, and so, but Judas he, uh, Judas, he didn't get that. He didn't get that. And so he never really tasted the good word of God. And then the last, it says, and the powers of the world to come. To, to taste of the power of the age to come. Um, so, so what's he talking about here? Um, he had seen what it was like to be with Christ. And he had seen what, what the work of Christ and, and that was just a glimpse. That's just a glimpse of what it's going to be like when Christ returns, isn't it? And man, Christ, you know, we read the Bible and we get all excited about the things that have happened. But man, when you read through Revelation and you see the things that God's going to do, and when he's going to come back and set up his earthly kingdom forever, and when he's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem, it's going to be exciting. It is, man. We, you know, we, we, we get excited, but I get excited about thinking about Christ's return and the thousand-year millennial reign. I, I get excited about when the lion lays down with the lamb and I can walk up and pet the lion. That's going to be phenomenal. And Christ is going to be ruling and reigning. We're going to be ruling and reigning with him. And that is so exciting. And we have to look forward to that. And, and, and he says here, he said, listen, you know, you, you've tasted of Christ's power some. You've just, again, it's, it's just you've tasted it, but you haven't bought into it. And that was the thing with Judas. He tasted these things a little bit, but he never bought into it. He never swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. And I think these two verses are perfect pictures of Judas. Perfect pictures of him. And the sad thing, sometimes there are perfect pictures of people who come and sit in the house of God week after week, and they taste it, and they're enlightened by it, and it's interesting to them. But their life never really changes. 
Because when somebody truly comes to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, it's not just a mental ascent. It, it's more than that. It is a relationship. The Bible says, when I, when I come to know Christ as my Savior, what? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become what? New. All things are in the process of becoming new, so there ought to be a change. There's that repentance. I'm going this direction, I repent, and now I am going the other direction. That's true salvation. Judas never experienced true salvation. He didn't. And this portion of Scripture in Hebrews is a perfect picture of Judas and a perfect picture of a lot of people who sit in the church today who've really never experienced true salvation. Why does God's word say, what, I am constantly to be what? Testing my salvation to make sure that it's what? It's true, to make sure. Because the heart is what? Wicked. It is wicked. It's desperately wicked. And, and, and let me just tell you this much. You know, I'm not here to make you doubt your salvation, but I'm here to tell you this much. I'm here to tell you when you're truly saved, you're going to be convicted of sin. When you're truly saved you're going to want to spend time with God. You're going to want to have fellowship with him. You're going to want to do those things. When you're truly saved, you know, there's the work of Jesus in your life that you can't resist. Now, let, let, me, let me say this one more time. When you're truly saved, there's the work of Jesus in your life that you can't resist. And let me camp out there just for a minute because I want to share something with you. When you think of salvation... Let's go back and think about salvation for a moment. How many of you were saved because of something you did? I didn't think so. None of us were saved because of anything we did, right? We were saved because of one reason. We were saved because we were drawn to salvation by God. God, through his Holy Spirit, drew us. If we believe in total depravity of man, and we believe there's nothing good about man at all, man is not really seeking God. He's not. God draws us to himself, doesn't he? And then we choose, we make that choice to accept him because of the drawing work of Jesus Christ. And, and, and then, at that point, I become saved. I have Christ in my heart. And so if Christ has drawn me to him and I'm saved because of him, listen, living the Christian life means that he is what? He's going to work in me. And a truly saved person will have Jesus working in them. You can't get around it. The question really isn't, you know, what, what, is, what would Jesus do? The question is, what has Jesus done? And how he's working in my heart and what he's doing in my heart. He, he's done everything there is to do. It's just a matter of him continuing to work in our hearts. And, and we can see that he wasn't working in the heart of Judas, or Judas never would have done what he did. And so, I bring you this portion of Scripture just to... to to help us to understand the life of Judas. Go back over to, to John just for a minute, and then we'll close. And then next week we'll be back here again looking at the teaching of Jesus. Because he, man, I, I get so excited about Jesus teaching here in the upper room. Just some phenomenal things that are for you and me. It's so amazing that 6,000 years ago that Jesus knew that Tim Bird was going to need something. 
So he prayed for Tim Bird. 6,000 years ago in the upper room. It, it, it is so neat that 6,000 years ago, God knew that B.J. Flora sitting there had some real needs. So he had B.J. Flora on his mind when he prayed in the upper room. Is that awesome? Is that awesome to think about that Jesus had you on his mind 6,000 years ago when he prayed in the upper room? Now, I get excited when somebody comes up to me and, you know, says, hey, Pastor Vaughn, I've been praying for you this week. But man, to think that Jesus prayed for me 6,000 years ago. Woo! Does that not get you excited? Does that not just do something for you? That God loves you so much that in the night before his crucifixion, he was praying for you? Now, that ought to make you want to come back next week just to find out about that, shouldn't it? Because it makes me want to come back. I think I'm coming. Look. Look here. Look what he says. Oh, I'm in Romans. I've got to go back to John. Look what he says here. Happens then here in the upper room. Because uh, Ju- Judas left and uh, we, we, now the conversation goes on. Therefore, in verse 31, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall be glor- glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, and ye shall seek me. As I said unto you the, with the Jews, whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you. So he's been telling them he's going away, but he's not told them where he's going. He's going to do that here in just a few minutes in, in chapter 14. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. It's interested that he waited till the uh, Judas was out, who wasn't really one of them, to give this commandment, this new commandment, that we are to what? Love. Agape one another. And by this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. One of the things he does before he goes into a lot of his teaching here is he just reminds them, listen, that we need to have love one for another. If, if there's anything, and he's going to pray for this a little bit later when he prays for you and he prays for me. He's going to pray about this, but he, before he gets to this prayer, he says, listen, if there's anything important that you need to what? Love one another. He knows what these disciples are about to face. He knows that they're about to face persecution, that they're going to be scattered in all kinds of different directions, and if there's something that they need, they need what? They need love. Now, this week we're going to go out in the world, and we're all going to work, and we're going to be touching the world, and we're going to work amongst people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, who really could care less about that. We might share the gospel of Christ this week, and They'll push us away. They don't want anything to do with it. And so we're going to go out into this world, and we're going to face the world. So when we get back together on Wednesday night or on Sunday, you know what we need? We need love. We need love. We need each other. We need to love each other because we're, we're fighting. And so... You know, we need that. 
if there's something that we need, it's we need love amongst the brother. So one of the purposes for us to come to church, and we talked about this just recently, is for us to what? Encourage one another and to love one another. You know how it says the Bible, the world will know us by our love. So what's love do? Very simple. Love does what's best for others. Love always does what's best for others. Love always gives. So what we think is, hey, He tells his disciples, we got rid of the one who really is not truly saved, not really interested. And so now, you know what we need to focus on? We need to focus on making sure that we love one another. That's what we need to do. So we'll pick it up next week, and we'll find out how Jesus prayed for you specifically 6,000 years ago. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night. Thank you for the word of God, just how exciting it is. Lord, it is every jot and tittle of your word is so exciting. And, and you know why, Lord? It's, it's because it's not about us. It really isn't. This storybook, this Bible, really wasn't written for me to be a better Christian. It, it was really written for me to study Jesus Christ. And as I study the life of Christ and I seek to become like Christ, the automatic outcome of that is that I will be like you. Lord, help us as we even open up the Word of God and we study it this week. It, it's not, I'm, I'm going to go to the Word this week to, to see how I can do better and be better. Lord, help us. As, as, and I need to be reminded of this. As I go into the Word for one purpose, and that is to see what an awesome God you are and how Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, is so awesome because this is a book about you. So help us this week to study your word, not to see us, but to see you and what you're doing. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Hey, have a great week. You're dismissed.